there was a television show that aired until 2013. It was called What Not to Wear. Remember that one? It was in the first of the lines of reality TV. What would happen is someone who missed the style gene or had had things happen in their life, had kind of gotten a little bit frumpy in their outlook uh, on life, would have friends nominate them for this show. Stacy and Clinton, in the beginning, without the other person knowing, would be kind of stalking them with cameras hidden in the process and finally make the introduction. And they would go into the person's clothes closet and they would start holding things up and they would drop them in a wastebasket. The bottom line is that most of these people didn't have a problem, they had the wrong style. And through a makeover and being made new, they had this new sense of confidence. The, the final day would be the day of coming out when they'd come through a door and a whole group of family and friends had gathered and they would cheer because the person had had a complete transformation. What I liked about the show was not simply the clothes piece. What I love to watch is what happened in people's souls as they felt better about themselves, something different came out of them. It was almost like a, a renewed confidence. We all like before and after stories. I think it's in our DNA. It's the restoration project of God. We're in the midst of this serious, generous gospel. We're looking at God's riches towards us through the letter to the Ephesians. Pastor David last week reminded us of the richness of our inheritance through adoptions as son and daughters, that God has brought us in. This week, we're going to see God's expression of the greatest before and after story ever told. If we will allow this passage to go into us, if we will understand the richness of what God has done in us, it will change everything about today and tomorrow for us. There'll be a peace and purposefulness that will change our whole outlook on this world. So we need to go into the text because it's that important. Ephesians 2, if you want to look in your Bible again, we're going to explore a before and after story. For many of us, it's a well-known before and after story. We heard a testimony from Romano of a before and after story. And maybe today some of you will enter into your after story as God opens the eyes of your heart to this message. Before I go, I just feel like we need to pray. Holy Spirit, what we're to enter into now will not be understood in the natural. It would only be as you pull the veil back that the eyes of our hearts would be open to how great your love is. So Lord, in these moments, transform each one of us to experience you. In Jesus' name, amen. This is one of those passages you don't want to start in the beginning. You need to start in the middle. Verse 4, but God. If you want to change any situation, just bring those two words into it. But God. Maybe two of the most powerful words that you can find in Scripture. Situation can be falling apart completely, but God. When I was a young pastor back in the 1980s, we were preaching through Ephesians, and I was so excited about this passage. The ramifications of it were so great, and I was waxing on eloquently, as you can as a 20-year-old pastor. And all of a sudden, I said, this is the biggest but in the Bible. 
And the laughter started in the back, and it came all the way to the front. This butt, I almost said it again, is huge. (laughs) It will change everything if we understand it. So who's the God that Paul is talking about? He goes on and puts descriptors. The one who is rich in mercy. Mercy is compassion or forgiveness shown to someone within one's power to punish or harm. We say, mercy, can't take anymore. In other words, uncle, don't take me to that. What we deserve according to Scripture because of our sins is punishment. And God in His mercy does not bring that to us. The King James has it as forbearance. I love that. Knowing God's patience with me. So God is rich in mercy. He goes on and says this, because of the great love with which He has loved us. And folks, how do we get our minds around the great love of God? Even using Greek, which has this unique word, agape, doesn't begin to explore the wonder of our God. Think of some of the scriptures. What great love uh, the Father has lavished upon us that we are called children of God. Jesus says this, No greater love has this than someone lay down their life for his friends. As the Father has loved me, I am loving you. And then the one that rips me apart completely, the first one that I memorized as a kid, John 3.16, For God so loved this world that he gave his only son. Come on, parents. Think about it for a moment. That's radical. Because of His great love. And then He goes on to talk about His grace. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, He made us alive together. By grace you have been saved. And then in verse 7, according to the riches of His grace. We know grace is unmerited favor. Where mercy withholds punishment, grace pours out blessing. Uh, The classic definition, unmerited favor for for, uh, grace, is very hard for us to get into because our world is built on a merit system. Starts very early, we get merits and demerits in school. And we have it put in our head that you have to work to attain to something to achieve. That if you do enough, then you will be acceptable. We let that bleed into our spiritual thinking. Uh, if you ask someone, why would God ever allow you in heaven, they'll go do something like this. Well, you know, I've done a lot of good things. I haven't done a lot of bad things. It's kind of a tipping of the scales. But there is no merit system in God's economy. We can't earn our way in. That's what the essence of this grace declaration is. Uh, Paul has this aspect that we were children of wrath that he mentioned earlier. We love talking about God's richness and mercy. We love talking about his great love. We love talking about his grace. But he's a God of wrath, and he's not a very good God if he's not going to be wrathful towards sin. See, God's not angry at us, the sinners. He's angry at sin because he knows what sin is doing in our lives. He sees the destructive patterns personally in our families and in our community and in the world. And God's wrath has to do something about sin. And so in His great mercy, rather than pouring out punishment on us, He pours all the punishment out on His Son. And out of His great love, He opens up the bounty of heaven so that we would experience the richness of His grace. 
Now, that's the solution. We've got to go back to the problem. Verse 1, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. These two words will not mean much to me until I recognize my desperate condition spiritually. If I'm still working with a merit system, I will try to measure in in some way. But the bottom line is what you and I contribute to God's salvation working in our lives is absolutely nothing. We were dead. Listen, spiritually I was dead. Poke me, there's nothing happening. Dead, dead, dead. We sang it this morning. I was dead in the grave. I was covered in sin and shame. Think about it. Isn't that a ridiculous thing for a lot of people to sing in our rah-rah world of feeling good? I was dead in the grave. I was covered in sin and shame. That's the spiritual condition that Paul is speaking about. There are impacts in that. He says, we used to follow the ways of this world. We were more influenced by the prince of this world, Satan, than we were by God's ways. And even our own flesh, that inner desire within us that is in rebellion against God was moving against them. In that state, children of wrath, but God. But God. Feel it. Don't just let it rattle around in your head. Let it go down to your heart. Feel the richness of God's mercy towards us. Feel His great love. Feel the grace that opens His arms to pour out bounty into our lives. And out of that, we get this great passage that many of us have memorized long ago. Verse 8, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that is not your own doing, it is a gift of God. Let's just stop there. We often talk about the combination of grace and faith. Grace is God's working and faith is my working. Let me remind you that faith itself is a gift from God. So this equation is really loaded on God's side. If I have faith, it's because He sparked something in me. Because we've already been told my nature is to walk in the deadness of how I was created and how I acted and moved in this world. It is a gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one can boast. Now, why does Paul say that? That no one can boast. He grew up in the Jewish system where people measured themselves and tried to get there by following the law. And we look at that now and we say, well, that's absolutely ridiculous, except we do the very same thing. We have little schemes of salvation that we create in our world. Thomas Merton calls it private holiness projects. Even some of us think we need to clean ourselves up so that we'll be acceptable to God. No, dead people don't clean themselves up. Dead people are dead. Poke me and I won't move. And in my deadness, God, rich in mercy... And His great love and His grace comes and makes me alive in Christ. 
Just let that settle for a minute. And thinking that was enough, Paul adds this great verse in verse 10, for we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Workmanship, it's this word poema. You can hear poem coming out of it. It's any kind of artwork that reflects a beauty and a goodness. It's only used one other time in the New Testament. It's in Romans 1 when Paul talks about creation itself. As soon as these trees start budding, as soon as the weather turns warm and this ungodly cold goes away. <laughs> yeah, that's the first time I got an amen all day. <laughs> creation will speak this glorious, so, and Paul says, no one is without excuse. Because of the glory of God, now he says, you are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. But Paul, it's not works so that we could boast. Do works really matter? They don't mean a thing for your salvation, but they do matter about the legacy of Jesus that he's releasing through your life. And what he's establishing, he goes on to say, God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We used to walk in the ways of deadness. Now we're walking in ways that reflect his glory. Wow, talk about a before and after story. And it's what God has for anyone, every one of us. So let me ask you, and so what this morning? Have you agreed with God's makeover? Are you in faith saying, God, I agree that I bring nothing to this table but my sin and deadness, and I receive your life that I would flourish in it? Maybe you've never thought about it before. Maybe you thought this was really a self-improvement project. No, God wants to transform your deadness to life. You say, how do I do that? Scripture says it very clearly. You believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. So let him in. Let me speak to all of us who agreed to this a long time ago. What new things does God want to do in your life? What part of His prepared wardrobe have you not considered? What new fruit does He want to release through your life? He's already told you what not to wear. What new things has He put in your wardrobe? Love, joy, peace, patience, Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. What new gifts does he want to release through you? What's been latent inside of you because you weren't ready in God's timing yet? He prepared them for you in advance, and he's been waiting for you to be ready. Gifts of prophecy, uh, words of knowledge, teaching, 
new places of service He wants to release. What new anointings and assignments does He have for you? Do you know that Thursday this week, you may walk into an assignment that's been waiting since before the creation of the foundation of this world? In fact, I can guarantee you all. Because God has fruitfulness as His design for your life. What new power of witness does He want to release in your life? He's telling a story, He's writing a poem. He's creating something beautiful in your life. For me, only thing better than a before and after story or a Cinderella type story is a reunion story. Uh, the last two days I've been with Jordan in Chattanooga. He bought a house, so I went down to support him in the process. Last night in the Chattanooga airport, I saw about 10 people with a sign and the name Welsh on it. And I had to get through security, but I just wanted to see who was going to come through and who, what the reunion was going to be. Then sitting there waiting for my plane, I found the Times Free Express from Chattanooga. The title of the story is Friends Separated by Holocaust Reunite in L.A. After 76 Years. I mean, a story like this, in a glass of wine, I'm sitting there just crying like crazy. <laughs> I quit watching Home Makeover many years ago because I just sit there weeping about the whole process. <laughs> this is the way it starts. When Alice Gerstel bid an emotional farewell to her family's closest friends in October 1941, she was hopeful she'd see little Simon Gronowski again. Gerstel and her Jewish family had hidden in the Gronowski's home for nearly two weeks before her father sent word from France that he could get them out. The Gronowski's decided to stay. They hid for 18 months until the Nazis came knocking on the family door and put Simon, his sister, and mother on a death train to Auschwitz. She said when she saw him, I thought the entire family was murdered. I had no idea. And he said to her, you didn't know that I jumped off the train. He was the only one of that family who made it. Later on, as the story was told, it was on that train to the death camp a few weeks later that the mother saved her son by pushing him towards the door of the boxcar and then telling him to jump. Part of me wants to say, folks, the train's moving. But I feel God slamming the train to a stop right now. He's not pushing you out the door. He's standing there and he's saying, be reunited with me. Experience the best after that you've ever experienced. Amen.